Well, Kristen, it's because our brains are so small. We don't know as much as the menfolk. Hey everybody, I'm Ashley. And I'm Kristen. And I'm Meredith. We want to welcome you to Inspired Conversations, the podcast study of the book Inspired, Slaying Giants, Walking on Water, and Loving the Bible Again by Rachel Held Evans. The book is available in paperback and audio, so please follow along with us. Even if you aren't reading along, I think you'll still find this conversation beneficial and entertaining to your own faith journey. Today, we're going to dive into a discussion around the last chapter of the book, guys. The letter and church stories. I wasn't super excited about this one, yeah. but I ended up really liking it. Me too. I really did. I mean, I should learn by now that whenever there's something that I'm not excited about, she's going to make it awesome. Mm-hmm. But yeah, mm-hmm. it's yeah. great. I was like, really? We're going to like dig into Paul? Which way is this going to go? That's why I wasn't excited. Yeah. I've never been a big fan of Paul, but we'll get into that later. But I probably <laughs> wrote more on the pages of this chapter than any mm. of the other ones. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. I did. There was a couple of pages where I'm like, why don't I just highlight it all? Yeah. Like, I just, Whole page. Yeah. Whole page star. I'm going to star mm-hmm. it. No, it was a good one. Well, let me share a little bit about how Rachel Held Evans describes church stories. 22 of the New Testament's 27 books aren't actually books. They're letters. While literary epistles or letters were common in the ancient world, the degree to which the genre dominated early Christian communication and instruction is striking. Of course, the authors did not consider their letters scripture at the time, nor did the recipients. The concerns of the world's first Christians were far more practical. How to get financial support for ministry how to respond to arguments that Gentile converts need to be circumcised, what to do with the influx of poor widows joining the church, which Roman laws to observe and which to challenge, and most importantly, how to foster theological communal unity between Jews and Gentiles, rich and poor, men and women, new converts and mature Christians. Yeah, and if you want to go back to the Bible and read some of the scriptures we'll be discussing, check out Colossians 3 and 4, 1 Corinthians 13. This time our midrash this week was focused around how one of the first churches would have received a letter from Paul and read it out loud to the congregation. Rachel Held Evans writes from the perspective of a woman she calls Alia, who comes to the church with her mother-in-law, but not her husband. We get the impression that she is part of the lower class and wouldn't normally be seen eating or gathering with the many different types of people that are gathered at Nipha's house. We read how a passerby would find it strange to see them sitting together for a meal Master breaking bread with his slave, a wealthy patroness pouring wine for a poor prostitute. But this is what makes them different. This is what makes them Christians. We see that common thread throughout the story that the Christians are doing things differently. Eventually, Nympha reads Paul's letter, and we learn how they hear familiar wording in the letter they say in Roman household codes, such as wives submit yourselves to your husbands, but they are followed by words that jolt alia, such as the following sentence, with husbands, love your wives. Words that were not part of the Roman household codes. Yeah, I loved it. It was so interesting. I didn't know about Roman household codes. I'll that, admit I didn't either. Yeah, uh, yeah, that gives the, some context to this that, like, I just I had no clue about. I'm not yeah. here for them either. No. Oh no, 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 no. Yeah, Roman society was not a great one for mm-hmm. women, especially, but yeah. for many people, unless you were a wealthy man, it really was just pretty terrible. Yeah. What were you saying before the podcast about like the station of women and children? In the yeah. World? Oh yeah, women and children were like very bottom, bottom rung, and in a lot of households and a lot of. Um, in a lot of areas in Rome, um, mistresses would have even been considered higher than wives and children. I mean, what? just, oh yeah, they were like 
super low, not important. So were the widows down there too? Yes. Like that's, that's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cause that's, I, that's, I knew they were all listed together in the Bible widows women and children like Mm -hmm. like you know take care of them for a reason because in a lot of ways if they didn't have anyone that was their family or their structure they were just like on their own yeah just nobody's out there nobody's taking care of them protecting them they're like essentially on the street yeah i mean that's interesting thought because i feel like a lot of the things that we read in paul's letters um can be shocking and then the other ones are like duh we should take care of the widows right but Mm -hmm. that was shocking Mm -hmm. for people during paul's time especially under roman rule right Mm -hmm. in the midrash at the beginning one of the kind of just side notes of the conversations as she personifies these characters is describing alia and her knowing that her husband had been difficult on his mother because his father had died and she had not remarried and it was a part of you know, this whole deal that, well, okay, you're single now, so we need to marry you off to someone else, or you're just going to be like a dangler out Mm -hmm. there. So I don't have to take care of you. Right. And then the mother-in-law seemingly was like, no, I want to be a widow in service to the church. Like, she's here with her daughter-in-law, rather than out, I guess, trying to get remarried, which... I have to do this again. (laughs) Oh. Put me to bed. I'm done. Yeah. I'm not. Not doing it. Well, yeah. yeah, And I loved in that story because Nympha was a real character we hear about in Paul's letters. And she was someone who was the head of a house church. Right. I think that'd be the best way to say it. And she was a woman. And Paul would talk about his coworkers who were women. Mm -hmm. So that's so cool to hear. And she was reading these letters for people to hear. So she was probably one of the first female pastors. Yeah. That's crazy. And isn't it amazing to think that then for... You know, over Mm -hmm. a thousand years, people used Paul's own words for reasons why women shouldn't be in a place of authority in the church. Yeah. Right. Like, it's just completely counter to what he was encouraging at that time. Right. I mean, you know, in in growing up, I don't know that I ever heard Paul uh, reference, like, you know, it used, he referenced his buddy, buddy ladies, his buddy coworkers. Mm -hmm. Um, That was never put that way to me. Right. It wasn't highlighted, like. These are women uh-huh. that he's talking about here. Yeah, so I had to kind of go back and like reread that and be like, sure enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's like I wonder if he added in the part about women because that was Roman culture at the time. Yeah. And mm-hmm. not, I, you know, it's hard to say it wasn't also part of Paul's beliefs, but you wonder where he really stood on it based on what we know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting, especially because... I mean, Paul was a Roman citizen, and while he was a Jew, he would have identified more strongly with Roman culture than he would have with Jewish culture. Mm. And so, you know, we have to kind of take everything with knowing that Paul was writing from the lens of being a Roman citizen. And so, yeah, he was probably going to have some bents in different directions than we would approve of now. But for a Roman at the time, he was radical. Mm-hmm. And I never thought I would hear myself say those words because I've had lots of issues with Paul. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that was something she did a great job in this chapter of kind of explaining was what the house code would have been like. And so for us today, they don't seem radical. They almost seem oppressive. Mm -hmm. But if we were to read it next to Roman household code, the differences would be stark. And um, I think the word I kept writing next to different columns in this chapter was subversive. Mm-hmm. So like a lot of the ways that he said things and the ways that he shifted them, shifted the narrative, um, was intentionally subversive. Like he lists the 
um, wives honor your husbands, but then immediately following, yeah. it's husbands love your wives, yeah. which would have never been caught dead in a Roman household. Absolutely not. No, that was radical. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That was radical. Okay. So what was everyone's favorite quotes in the letter? Yeah, let's do that. Um, so I I actually, earlier in the Midrash, we've kind of talked about how they're talking about the Roman household code. And the main kind of speaking character, Ilya, um, she, on page 193, talks about this. Um, and she said that, well, Pax Romana, referencing the household code, begins in the home, they always say, with obedient wives, slaves, and children. Um, and yet, at these gatherings, Elia has learned that there should be no distinction between Jew and Gentile, male and female, free and slave. And she kind of goes on to describe the the things that Paul was saying in his letters um, to the churches, to the house churches, which we all know to be memorized Bible verses that we've thought of um, for our entire Christian lives. But then at the end, I caught a bit that was just a teensy bit um, eerie when she's talking about hearing all of these together. So they're all in this house and she's kind of talked about how it's a little scary for her to be reading this letter out loud because it says a lot of things about Rome and the government. And if anybody were to hear it out of context, things could be bad. And she says elsewhere, Christians have been imprisoned and even killed for resisting the empire. So the question lingering over every meal, every scripture reading and every prayer among the church at Laodicea is the same. Do we risk our necks over differences with the government regarding class, commerce, worship and household? Or do we let things like that go? No one seemed to agree. Perhaps tonight Paul's letter will help. And I just think it's so close to home that even the earliest house churches hiding in the Roman Empire meeting were talking about the same stuff that we argue about on a daily basis mm-hmm. <laughs> over the Thanksgiving table. You know, right. just, well, you know, that's too far or that's too much or no, we should respect this or well, that seems a bit rash, you know, just different things that they were. Now, none of us are going to risk walking out in the streets and talking about our faith and something happening to us. Not here, not here in America. And right. Uh, but it it's interesting that it was still the topic of discussion. How far do we take this? Like, does our faith go all the way, like he says, or is it good enough kind of with us having it here? Right. Just, right. Because it was more of a strategy piece they had to go to, which is mm-hmm. hard because it's always that balance, like... If I am too loud and in your face about something, are you going to hear it? Right. But um, if I assimilate in too much into the culture, then is it still sharing the same message? Right. And I know that's something that we struggle with. I struggle with today. So the part I liked was whenever they were getting into Paul's letter. So this is on page 195. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which blinds them all together in perfect unity. Alia rests her head on Drusilla's shoulder. She loves the imagery of dressing in compassion, kindness, and patience, and imagines slipping into love as though it were a purple robe made of the best Colossian cloth. I think that's such beautiful imagery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's also one of my favorite Bible verses too. 
It's just interesting, it. and that's a Paul. I know, I know. So you and do have? I do. I've you got have some. A tense, like, I um, do. You live in the tension with Paul. I do. There are two that she mentions in this. Well, I'm probably more than two, but two specifically that are two of my favorite Bible verses. And I kind of read them, and I went, "Oh man!" <laughs> I mean, like, I kind of wanted to hold on a grudge a little bit against Paul, even though I probably knew it was Paul at some point. I'd forgotten, right? But no, that's that is beautiful. I do love that. Yeah. What about you, that. Meredith? What did you have? You know, again, I'm I'm tricky with Paul, and I, so I think the thing that sticks out the most to me is probably because it's one of the things that I've had the biggest issue with um, is when they get to the part in the letter where Nympha reads, slaves obey your earthly masters in everything. Mm -hmm. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord. And that's usually where we kind of stop. And that's where it's been used in history. And I mean, to so much anguish and detriment and oppression. Uh, And so when I read that, even in part of this letter, I was like, "Mm." (laughs) but then she goes on and says, uh, Masters, provide your slave with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. At this, the room erupts. Alia is clearly not the only one puzzled. Slaves with an inheritance? Masters with a master of their own? Some think the apostle is encouraging acquiescence to the empire, and others believe his words to be subversive, and dangerously so. And then they go on to talk about Onesimus, which I'm sure I'm pronouncing that incorrectly, but uh, who was the slave of a wealthy Christian named Philemon. And everyone's kind of asking, you know, what does this mean for, what does this mean for him? And as we move on, um, Nympha reads, we received word that Onesimus has returned to Colossae with instructions from Paul that Philemon, who would have been his master, and the rest of us treat him as a brother, not a slave. And then she says, you know, nobody really heard much after that because there was so much unrest. So I guess what I liked the most about that part is that even though that that first section has been so horribly used and it still gives me the heebie-jeebies to read it to just that little bit that he says afterward um, about masters provide for your slaves for us we're like that you know we still read it and think that's horrible that's just terrible but that was so countercultural and so radical at the time mm-hmm. that the thought of even these home churches that were i mean they were in it these weren't like normal roman citizens even mm-hmm. these people who were in it were like what Right. Are you kidding me? I mean, mm-hmm. like, that that's how subversive it was. That gives me a little more compassion and a little more grace for Paul that, you know, he was, he was, I don't know, he mm-hmm. was fighting a fight. He was fighting he was. a big fight. I don't even have an equivalent for that. Like, what, what part of society we would just say, there are no more blank. Yeah. That that system will be deleted, like like mail carriers or so. I mean, it's not even a good like. No, yeah, like, but I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I know what you're saying. Like, yeah, no, I understand. To, to suddenly say something that is so not only so ingrained, but um, so much a part of, I mean, every fabric right. of the society. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like something that is a part of how a whole, like every single house works. Mm-hmm. Like it, it was, it was just how it was, and so it. Yeah, to be like, yeah, yeah that's I, could no- say, I see what you're saying, though. It could almost be like, you will never receive mail again. Right. If you want mail, you're going to have to go get it yeah, yourself from like, wherever it is. <laughs> right. What? Yeah, I'd be like, but that's a... Okay, I but a mailbox. I, but my taxes... And, you know, every, it would kind of cause everyone to figure out how to have to do something completely differently. Yeah. I mean, think about how everyone gets so upset when they raise the price of stamps. Mm-hmm. Oh, my Woo. gosh. I don't know. Yeah. 
I could see how back then they would be like, that's too, you know, that's too big an issue, Paul. We can't right. talk about that on Sunday. Everybody will leave. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> you're yeah. going to make, you're going to make a lot of people real mad. Right. You're going to get, get so a lot of emails. emails. <laughs> Maybe a few text messages. Exactly. <laughs> Good line. But I think that's important. Like, I think one of the things we were talking about, what we got out of this chapter was how important it is to read Paul in the context of the time and the history mm-hmm. that this takes place. Mm-hmm. Right. And that... It's not just something that you can pick up and read and just immediately drop into now. Mm-hmm. It yeah. doesn't work that way. Yeah. Well, and then, so, I mean, that's obviously one of the big, big ones. But what other quotes from the epistles have you seen used to justify cruelty or injustice, mm-hmm. um, whether that's against someone that you love or you know or you don't? Um, and has that affected how you view Paul and the Bible in general. Mm-hmm. Paul's the one who wrote the letter to tell the women to be quiet in church. Right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Just clarifying. We are all upsetting Paul right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. We call, should we call ourselves Paul's posse? Like, <laughs> Paul's posse. <laughs> posse de Paul. <laughs> Golly. Yeah, no, so obviously that one has affected and just, yeah, I look at my friends who aren't part of Methodism and mm-hmm. they're definitely not allowed to be pastors Mm -hmm. or i mean in some churches they're not even allowed to teach like non-females right just yeah teach well in yeah in general in some churches they're not even allowed to teach a bible study i mean Mm -hmm. like nothing and i think that's just so hard for me especially when i don't feel like when i feel like women um confirm paul's writings because i'm like you can't tell me in your heart of hearts Mm -hmm. that you think you can't share the good news Mm -hmm. better than the guy sitting next to you Kristen. it's because our brains are so small we don't know as much as the men folk (laughs) i don't even understand what you're saying i know brain and my words i know know. words are so hard when when i grew up i i did hear this this and it was it was very casual it wasn't like meant to be oppressive but it was like no no no. men teach everybody and women are allowed to teach other women and children. That's like their deal. <sighs> and well, and it's interesting because I couldn't actually tell you what exactly verse it says that it is in. Mm-hmm. And I don't think even people who believe in that verse could tell you where it right. is. They're like, well, it's somewhere in the Bible. <laughs> yep. They might not even know what Paul says and Paul wrote it. I know. <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting because that, that I feel like we living where we live, <laughs> that has been wielded most with most power but i think that besides the slave stuff that you know she goes into uh, a good moment where she talks about during the civil war and the whole reason that apparently i didn't know this she kind of says that the southern baptist church came out of basically the baptist preachers being split between union and confederate and they were like well but we are going to find some biblical literation for keeping things as they are Mm -hmm. and Northern Baptists were like, ah, you can't do that. I didn't know. <laughs> I was like, I knew we had Southern Baptists. I guess I didn't know why we needed to call ourselves yeah. Southern. I hadn't thought about it. I mean, I think the big one for me, um, and I know that I've shared before about my experience with the church, especially the church in the Deep South and how they um, treated homosexuality and LGBTQ Um and I mean, all of the quote unquote proof that they pull that doesn't come from, you know, Deuteronomy or wherever it is in the Old Testament right. comes from Paul's letters mm-hmm. and all the things that he says about same sex relationships. Um, and, uh, you know, once again, it's just cherry picking, which I know we all we've admitted we all do. 
but cherry picking with zero context mm -hmm. at all. And Rachel Held Evans goes into a you know, deep dive on this and talking about how same sex relationships in the Greco Roman era would not have been viewed like we view them today. Mm -hmm. you know, Paul is not talking about loving relationships. Paul's not talking about romance. Paul's talking about essentially rape between mm -hmm. masters and slaves and uh, pedophilia. And, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, just the things that today we would just absolutely lose our minds over. Right. He's calling those things out on the table. And somehow we took that and all we heard was same sex being together equals bad and mm -hmm. you know she goes she very very clearly says this is not what he is saying and basically stop it yeah well and it's interesting because she makes the, the point on page 204 paul uses the very same language in a letter to the corinthian church to argue that women should wear head coverings and men shouldn't have long hair judge for yourselves he wrote is it proper for a woman to pray to god with her head uncovered does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair it is a disgrace to him but if a woman has long hair it is her glory so she uses he used sorry he used the word nature mm -hmm. in there just like the same sex behavior mm -hmm. yeah natural versus unnatural and that's not taken i mean it's just taken so completely out of context and mm -hmm. which is interesting because sometimes i feel like we see pictures of jesus with long hair yeah yeah, at the end of that little statement, she kind of wraps it into um, talking about that unnatural and natural was used actually to define like some fairly patriarchal assumptions about men and women, which we know are not true today. Um, like if if you were sexually aggressive, that was a natural way for men to be only. Mm -hmm. And if you were sexually passive and demure, that was a way for women to be only. And so like natural and unnatural was a very large couching term you know like it couched a lot of uh, subtext that right. it kind of leaves out of the conversation right well and she says on 205 that most understand paul's language to the corinthians to describe cultural customs based on ancient views of gender roles not universal truths mm. <laughs> this was for them at that time right. that's what they needed to hear at that time doesn't speak the same way to us. This is not a forever permanent universal truth. Mm -hmm. And she talks a lot about that. Um, what was it that you said before the podcast, Kristen, that she talks about reading Paul is like? Yeah, it's almost like we're peeking into someone's email box or right. reading their own personal mail. Mm -hmm. Like we're, it was not actually addressed to Kristen Steed. It's really weird. <laughs> yeah. So I've got to take it with the context of who it was going to and when it was going to them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Yep. All right, I've got a question for y'all. Mm -hmm. How is the experience of engaging the epistles a bit like the experience of engaging wisdom literature? Remember those old wisdom stories we oh, learned about yes. a couple chapters Liked ago? Like that chapter. What books were those, Meredith? That she so, Proverbs and Psalms. Right. And... All the poetry mm -hmm. and kind of like lists of things to do and not to do yeah. based on people's experience. Yeah. But a mm -hmm. lot of times they contradicted each other. Right. Because it was like, do that. not correct a fool. Uh -huh. And then it uh -huh. was like, correct the fool. Yep. And so we talked a lot about in wisdom literature, how we had to kind of learn when to use the verses yeah. in our own context. And mm -hmm. I think that does make sense with the epistles as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Her, her quote says that wisdom is situational 
It's isn't just about knowing what to say. It's about knowing when to say it. And it's not just about knowing what is true. It's about knowing when it's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So anybody who's been listening to us for a while actually wrote a Kristen Steve quote next to this that says, tomato salad. (laughs) (laughs) Which for uh, those of you who didn't listen to that episode, Kristen always says that uh, knowledge is knowing that tomato is a fruit and wisdom is knowing that it doesn't go in a fruit salad. I can't take full credit for it, but I do say it a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I love that one. It's <laughs> a good I'm one. Not putting tomatoes in my fruit salad any. Yeah, it's time just no. it's just like what she's saying though, because the context is so important to these letters that you know it, <laughs> it doesn't necessarily apply to you with yeah. a capital U when when you're reading Paul. <laughs> right. Right. Like Kristen just, said, this is not the letter written to Meredith McBride in 2021. This is the letter written to the Colossians or the, right. you know, which I think I would still use my wisdom to discern if what Paul was sending to me right, <laughs> right. was what I wanted to share. Right. Like, I love oysters. Love you oysters. Ash, oh, I do. I'm too. excited about where this is going. Oh, I love them. So oysters are listed <laughs> earlier in the Bible oh. as things never to ever eat. Mm-hmm. Now, that would be very sad for me. And, you know, if I was a early Christian who didn't necessarily understand which water to eat an oyster out of that made an oyster okay to eat, yeah, then that probably should be a rule. <laughs> right. But I'm okay. me now, and I know that my favorite restaurant has awesome oysters. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's what Paul was dealing with, um, really, in terms of all the Jewish laws, was that they were really hard about what they'd been following with their strict diet, mm-hmm. with strict offerings, with circumcision, mm-hmm. and then all these Gentiles were coming in. Well, it's going to be really hard to convert people if, like, they're going to have to get circumcised at 45. Right. <laughs> so I feel like that's when Paul was like, let's hash this out. Uh-huh. What is actually important in the authority of mm-hmm. God and Jesus and what is actually important? And that's how we got a lot of these letters is them trying to hash out yeah. how to bring Christianity to the world mm-hmm. and yeah. expand it. Yeah, in in a reasonably humane way, right? <laughs> like is circum Jesus? I don't remember Jesus discussing circumcision. Yeah, I yeah. don't know the Bible super well yet, but well. So then this just leads to the question: uh, How would you answer the question? Why letters? Mm. Why mm-hmm. are these included in the Bible? Mm-hmm. Why are these included in Scripture? Mm-hmm. I loved how she talked about this in the chapter. I can't remember what page it's on exactly, but she talks about the how amazing it is that we get these little arbitrary moments in the Bible about the details as to the crazy stories, the, the, the um, donkey falling into the hole and Jesus riding in on a donkey and all of the, the spats between different people. Cause here's the thing. If you're a part of a church and you're trying to make church work, um, you're always going to end up in a really bad council meeting at some point, right. you know, like you're going to end up, in an argument with your brother or your sister about something really arbitrary, like a font or Mm. like when or when not we should be doing something because of which or whatever school district is in or out, you know, it just becomes arbitrary. And so it is encouraging for me to see even the earliest Christians who were the closest to having seen Jesus. <laughs> right. right. Literally was recent yeah. enough that they could like have some serious footing in what they should and should not be doing. And they still will get mired mm-hmm. in things. Yes. <laughs> it's yeah. encouraging to me for some reason. No, I mean, it is so interesting that we get a peek into the life in these letters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I, I guess it's also 
I have no idea. What do you have? I, I think it just, this isn't a question I ever would have thought of until I was reading it. But then I did find myself going, yeah, wait, why? What? And I think for me, it, it shows something that I love so much about our faith um, and in the way it should be and that it shows adaptability mm. and it shows that as a church, you know, big church, um, as a faith, we are supposed to grow and adapt that even only a couple of decades after Jesus was around, they were already having to make exceptions and already having to adapt and grow to, in order to grow. Like this should be our norm is having these conversations and saying, okay, what do we need to do so that we can include more people mm -hmm. and let's change that and let's add to it. What do we need to do to make sure that you are being kind and loving and healthy and all the things to the others in your lives? Cool. Let's change and adapt and make that happen. Mm -hmm. That's what we should be. And that's what the letters show me. Well, and that's interesting because I also think then we wouldn't have all this context to know like his coworkers were women. Mm -hmm. Right. Or um, just these intimate details about Onesimus mm -hmm. in here. We probably wouldn't have heard about what they should do with the slave. Mm -hmm. And it's only because it was a letter because I doubt that if he had sat down to write it, he would have included those details mm -hmm. and would have been more like, wives submit to your husbands, mm -hmm. just like a checklist, I think. Yeah. And it's already so difficult for us as modern Christians to try to ground the Bible in some reality sometimes. Yeah. It all feels like it, it was a very magical happening still. Yeah. And it was a magical happening, but it also was a lot of time walking and a lot of time trying to figure out where they were going to sleep and a lot of time going, okay, well, should we send letters to these people? Well, no, this is probably more urgent. We should do this. You know, it was it was a lot of the daily business of church, mm -hmm. which I think we often as people get wrapped up in kind of this um, instant gratification Christianity of like, well, that sermon didn't do anything for me. I don't know what I, you know, I, I don't know if I'm getting anything out of this. Right. But the work is in the work. Right. Too, which I love. She has, and I, I also love this quote that she said on 206 which is, uh, no one lives in general. Um, every human life is unique. The letters of the New Testament are appropriate to the incarnation. No one lives in general, not even Christ or his church. The Christian life isn't about intellectual assent to a set of presuppositions, but about following Jesus in the context of actual marriages, actual communities, actual churches, actual political differences actual budget meetings, actual cultural changes, and actual racial tensions, actual the theological disagreements. Like it or not, you can't be a Christian on your own. And for some reason, that just is like, oh, yes, yeah. all of these little bits matter, God. And then she closes that up with them because God cares about us. God cares about the little stuff. Yep. Mm-hmm. I just found a quote that I forgot that I love yeah? here. <laughs> it's a funny one, guys. Uh, page 206, no doubt when the Christians of 2020, 18 read our books, blog posts, and church newsletter, they will think to themselves, why in the world was that an issue of debate? And can you believe that's how they thought about things back then? And especially, how is it not obvious that leggings are not pants? <laughs> Yet the spirit will be just as present and active then as it is now, as it was more than 2000 years ago. <sighs> Leggings will always be pants. Absolutely. <laughs> that reminds me of one of my Absolute favorite memes that circulated a while ago. 
Um, and it had a picture on the top. It was two pictures. And the picture on the top was people standing outside the Capitol building with protest sign mm -hmm. saying uh, protesting interracial marriage and saying, you know, whites should only marry whites. Blacks should only marry blacks. And then underneath it was a modern day picture of people standing on the Capitol building protesting gay marriage. And then the caption at the bottom says, think how stupid you're going to look in 50 years. And I, I mean, but I think that is so accurate. Mm -hmm. I mean, whether or not you agree with that uh, part of the sentiment in 50 years, what our kids like what we're sitting here or what our grandparents are sitting here, you know, complaining about. And can you believe that that girl wore shorts and tennis shoes to church? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Our kids in 50 years are gonna be like, seriously, at least she was in church. My <laughs> right. goodness. Why yeah. do we care so much about that? I know. Can you believe that she served communion with a tank top on? Mm -hmm. Who cares? She was serving communion. Mm -hmm. Yay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to even get our brains to think on that wavelength. You know, I mean, it's hard to think that far ahead of like, what are we going to be so mad at ourselves that we got so hung up on, you know? And yeah. and that's something that's been in the topic of kind of Chris's sermons um, last week was like, what gets the church hooked on such the wrong thing? <laughs> what shifts our focus? And it's, it is encouraging to me when I get to read these slice of life letters from Paul that we've been doing it since the very beginning mm -hmm. since since the guy next door goes i just shared a meal with the messiah yeah and then he goes whoa but he ate flatbread not dog. you know like it all it just it immediately falls apart simply because we're human <laughs> yep spoiler alert spoiler alert <laughs> on page 208 the author writes to make peace with the bible i had to make peace with paul can you relate what is your experience with the writings of paul I don't know, man. She kind of fixed Paul for me in some ways. I said the whole time, I've always had issues with Paul. But uh, yeah, I mean, this definitely gave me new... It, I will say it makes me want to learn more. Mm -hmm. It mm -hmm. makes me want to go on, yeah. a, on a deeper dive. I actually find myself wanting to go and read Paul's letters and then side by side with... Here's the context, mm -hmm. not just like the study Bible at the time, this, you know, the one sentence blip, but like the actual context because i do think i will have more grace for paul in the future mm -hmm. just I'm, don't say mean things about women and kids man yeah. i love kids what they ever do to you come on paul nothing nothing you need to volunteer at vbs <laughs> amen that's not how you went over <laughs> <laughs> no are you sure <laughs> no i agree with meredith though like i think it's just um I feel more complete with Paul, but I do want to dive in deeper. Mm -hmm. Like I'm now, I feel like I've gotten a taste for what Paul really was like. And now it's drawing me in closer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's learn more. Yeah. It gives me one more layer of things to consider before I kind of let my brain turn off about certain things. Just kind of like, okay, it maybe it defangs it a bit for me. Yes. It, that's a I, great way to put that. I kind of get to go all right before i get too mad let's zoom out just a little bit okay who are we talking to the church at blah 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 okay google maps mm -hmm. <laughs> where, yep. where is this what year is this supposed to be okay google britain and likely da 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 yeah and kind of widen my vision yeah. just a little bit yeah and it's a good exercise of not going into something with like one thought about how it's going to be mm -hmm. and just letting it change your perspective of it. I will say that the it defangs it for my own readings. I think that it's going to take some time and some work and some study on my part to help defang those who are still trying to use that against me. That's that is where the trick 
is Mm -hmm. for me is, Mm -hmm. you know, now that I've got a little bit of context here, how do I not be the person that, you know, goes up to someone holding a sign with, you know, Mm -hmm. something from Paul written on it. And I'm like, let me tell you why you're wrong (laughs) because that doesn't help things, but also you need to know why you're wrong. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it makes me feel a little safer in my own opinion. Yes. So that's good. Which, you know, always question that too. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, do we have any good quotes we want to wrap it up with today, folks? Man, we shared a lot of good ones, but I underlined a lot. So let's look. (laughs) So my favorite was, of course, at the very end of this chapter, because she always sums it up so well. She says, was Paul a man of his time? Of course. But that's exactly the point. God meets us where we are as we are. The spirit shows up in the thick of it. We don't have to embrace everything about Paul's culture in order to embrace the good news that he preached within it, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And that comes from Romans eight thirty-eight through 39. And I like teared up when I read that because that's one of my favorite Bible verses, but it's not one that like... You know, I don't like end my emails with that one or anything. I, I wouldn't say it's that it's long. one. Well, and I wouldn't <laughs> say it's one that I share with a lot of people as being one of my favorites. But um, so several years ago, my aunt was dying of breast cancer mm-hmm. and we, she had decided she didn't want to die in the hospital. She said, just take me home. Like I want to be at home. And so we did this essentially, we called it the Irish wake. Mm-hmm. So we essentially all gathered around her bed and her favorite pastime was um, she had gone to Italy. And anyway, she learned how to like make limoncello. Mm. And so we sat around her bed and she was long since in a coma and we drank limoncello and we were all talking and laughing and, you know, just enjoying celebrating her life truly. Mm -hmm. And at one point, like we knew the end was near and my other aunt picked up her Bible and flipped it open to where the bookmark was. And she had underlined and starred that scripture. And so my aunt read it and we all just started crying, but then we were smiling because, I mean, it just was so beautiful and so poignant in that moment that you know, she knew she was dying. And that was what she underlined that nothing can separate us from mm-hmm. the love of God. And I'm getting emotional now, but only because mm-hmm. it was just such a beautiful moment. Yeah. And to read that at the end of this chapter that I kind of I didn't say I wouldn't say I struggled with it, but I've always struggled with Paul. Mm-hmm. It just gave me kind of I kind of laughed and thought, mm-hmm. okay, Paul, I'm gonna give you <laughs> I'm gonna give you another shot. Yeah, I'm I'll, give, give, you I'll shot. give you a point back. Oh, man, you made me cry. Sorry. Oh, that's a good one. Thanks Aww. for sharing. Oh my God. Wipe my tears away. Yes. So mine is on page 211. And mine is the message of good news for all people of all nations became Paul's obsession as he traveled the region with other followers of Jesus sharing the gospel in cities across Asia and Europe. He almost always preached first to the Jews in the synagogues and then to the Gentiles at their marketplaces, academic forums, and home. He described himself as a slave to everyone, willing to become all things to all people for the sake of the gospel. Mm-hmm. I just think that's beautiful. It is. I mean, he wasn't expecting everyone to come to him. Mm-hmm. He yeah. went to them. Mm-hmm. He met people where they were. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And my quote kind of is a little bit of that. And I've just loved the story throughout this book of how she talks about story mattering and Jesus coming into our story and part of the work of Christianity, meeting people within their story. And so I kind of loved this little factoid that I didn't know um, on page 213. And she says, 
Perhaps the most powerful reinforcement of this commitment appears in Paul's trademark greeting, completely unique in ancient literature. Every New Testament letter authored by Paul or in, or in his name begins with grace and peace to you, a combination of the Greek word charis for grace with the Hebrew word shalom for peace, a seemingly mundane turn of phrase packed with rich theological meaning for both groups, pointing them towards mercy, wholeness, justice, and unity. And I just love that because not only is he doing the great work of bringing different peoples together, um, but different peoples in a subversive kind of sneaky, funny way. Um, <laughs> Sassy way. Yeah. And and I think that that is a thing I never would have known if I never would have had the context. Yeah. I never would have known this great gesture of how he spoke. He opened everything he ever had to say to people. What is this message of all of you together in grace and peace? Yeah. Woo. That does it for me. It's good. All right, guys, I'm going to go back on my word. So a while ago when we talked about um, what parts of the Bible we would take out, mm, yeah, uh, mu- I mean, a month ago, probably, yes. I said a lot of Paul's writings wow. because of how they had been used and how they had hurt people. And I am changing my mind. Whoa. I know. You've big time. First year, folks. I, but I, I mean, I still think that they have been used horribly, mm-hmm. but man, I have a lot more feeling for Paul now. No kidding. I mean, wow, that's awesome. You guys, we have grown even yep. in this time. I've changed my mind. Yeah. It's okay to change your mind. It's it good. It is okay. Signals grow. Okay. <laughs> oh, guys. Very good. Very good. Well, I think that's about how much time we have for today. Um, we decided to add one more episode to this season. Woohoo. <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> to wrap up so that next time you can join us um, as we have finished this book. We're going to come back together and we're going to discuss her epilogue and then. Um, so there's still time to recommend the next book to us. Um, we're hoping that you guys will reach out. We're going to continue meeting and studying and growing together um, here in the studio. So we want you guys to be a part of that. Send us books that are on your nightstand, things you've been either meaning to read or have been super meaningful that you've read. Um, we'd love to know them. So send me an email, um, Ashley, that's with an L-E-Y, at cumc.com and share those with us and your thoughts on this book itself. We've loved it. We hope you have too. So thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week as we wrap up this first study of Inspired Conversations. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this podcast episode. As a part of the Christ United Podcast Ministry produced by Ashley Danner, you can visit cumc.com backslash podcasts in order to view our full listing of podcast series. Like, subscribe, and follow so that you don't miss a single message. Thanks for supporting us. Have a great week.